Hello everyone and welcome to this week's episode of the Urban Weekly Podcast. Today I'm joined by Lucent's Sophie Whitakers, who is the development manager there. Sophie, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. Usually I start with a bit of background, but I thought for something different, I know you did the Oxfam 100k trek over the weekend, is that right? Yeah, I did, I did. Interesting experience. Yeah, it's first time. First time, first time, maybe the last time also, though I might forget the pain of it and decide <laughs> to do it again next year. Um, yeah, I guess I'm, I'm always interested in kind of, you know, challenging myself with things outside of work and I find that anything that's a bit of a test of endurance is, mm-hmm. is good to get into and it, it'll, you know, from another perspective kind of builds resilience in how you approach other things in life, which probably with what I do for work is not a bad thing yeah. to have. Um, so, you know, whatever you faced up with that's challenging, you can normally find a way to work through it. Yeah. And how long did it take you to complete? Did you set yourself a particular target or goal? Look, I think the team just wanted to finish, to be honest. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that, was, that was the initial target. Um, we finished up in 28 hours in the end, which was, you know, within, within the finishing yeah. time. But yeah, walking overnight, uh, I wouldn't recommend it to yeah. anyone as a choice. Did you have, um, was there any inter-developer rivalry between yourself and the Millie boys? Well, I wasn't actually with a Lucent team, so Ah, I think if there had have been a Lucent team potentially, we might have tried to keep an eye on each other. Um, But actually, I didn't even see them. I think there was 2,700 competitors, yeah, so right. or competitors, walkers. Yeah, something you would do again? I'm going to have to reassess it. Okay, yeah. <laughs> I, think, I think next time I'd prefer to do a couple of sections running, so yeah. at least it's, you know, a shorter time span yeah. on your feet. But, uh, yeah, otherwise pulled up well? Yeah, yeah, yeah recovered quite well. I was very surprised. I think mm-hmm. I've been uh, I've been warned that a few toenails might fall off a couple of weeks later. Really? But, yeah, it's, it's pretty brutal. I didn't yeah, no, it's a podiatrist nightmare. Oh, right. Because I think the most I've hiked in a day, and this is legendary amongst friends, but it was myself and two mates down at Wilson's Prom who we kind of got lost because we thought we were much closer to um, Sealer's Cove than we were. Oh, um, no. And everyone has like an ongoing injury of some sort. So one of my mates lost like feeling in his big toe. Oh, no. I yeah. mean, he didn't lose his toenail, but that, yeah, so I don't know if that's somehow related to losing toenails. Yeah, I think if you're in shoes for too long and you're doing yeah. repetitive action for too long, your feet just suffer. Yeah. On to more development-related matters. <laughs> Could you give us a bit of background on yourself and then uh, Lucent as well? Yeah, yeah, sure. I um, So I guess my kind of origins originally from a professional standpoint were um, in design so I studied interior design initially straight out of high school mm-hmm. didn't really jump straight into the industry locally I actually moved over to the UK mm-hmm. and ended up working for a small architecture firm which was a fantastic experience I mean I, I've never done so many planning applications yeah. in my life I felt like a town planner <laughs> in hindsight um, and super interesting from a heritage perspective mm-hmm. over there you know you're constantly dealing with you know streetscapes that yeah. can't be altered and no, so that was great. Um, and then I moved to Malta for a bit of time, which was, you know, another very interesting kind of change of cultural scenery as mm-hmm. well. And worked for, they were essentially the development group for a big um, luxury hotel chain. So we did, you know, anything from refurbishments to new builds mm-hmm. all across Europe in North Africa, so in Libya. Uh, not that I ever got to travel yeah. there. I, I would have loved to have done a site visit, but... In order for me to get a visa, I would have had to fly home to Australia to, to go to the embassy to get the visa to fly to fly Libya. Back, yeah. So that, that never happened. 
Um, and then along the journey, I realised that design was just such a small component mm. of this massive picture of development and that I, I wanted to know more and I wanted to be involved in more. So decided to go back and study and um, through a kind of strange chain of events, ended up getting back into um, construction management mm-hmm. as a second degree. Um, absolutely loved it. It really it showed me that I'm probably more of a practical-minded mm-hmm. person, which you know I'd, I'd discovered studying design that wasn't necessarily the most creative person in yeah. the world but when it came to executing projects and you know, looking at technical detail that was far more my strong point so um in the course of finishing up that degree the lucent boys pre the beginnings of lucent mm-hmm. um got in touch with me and i had to sit down with them would have been almost five years ago now um and they told me that they were looking at starting their own mm-hmm. development business they'd all come out of you know, one area or another of development mm-hmm. with pretty kind of strong experience, probably in the residential um, sector mostly then. And, you know, they looked at my skill set, they looked at what I was doing and thought, you know, here's someone who could probably help us out. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's that's when it all began. So, yeah, so Lucent was, is almost five years old now. Yeah. Um, and I've been with them from the very start. Yeah. So something very close to my heart. Yeah. How have you found your previous experience in design has helped with your current role versus, say, had you just done construction management without the design background? I actually think it's the most important part um, for, for various reasons. I think initially from even from a yield analysis mm-hmm. perspective, so when we look at acquiring a site, um, traditionally I think developers, if they don't have the in-house expertise, they'll go to an architect, mm-hmm. they'll go to town planners to create, a, we call it mud bath essentially, yep. um, to look at how many apartments, um, you know, volume layouts and that type of thing. Given that I can use CAD and, you know, also coming from an interior design background versus an architectural Mm -hmm. background, I've got my head around the space planning Mm -hmm. side of things. So, you know, it's not just about drawing a box and going, oh, there's an apartment, that'll work. You've really got to understand the dynamics of the interior and... Correct spaces. Correct, yeah, yeah. So that, from that side of things, it's it's been super valuable to have that skill set. And then, you know, looking more towards the kind of, once we get into a construction side of things, we start looking at materials Mm -hmm. and and detailing even on site when, you know, it's a lot of things can get missed in documentation. So when it's problem solving through how do we make this work and how do we make it look good, Um, I find that, again, you know, particularly with joinery, yeah. um, which is something I spent a lot of time on, um, a lot of hours on CAD. You and me both. Um, oh, I'd, I never, ever want to draw another door swing in my life. Um, I thought that too, and then I found myself drawing at my parents' kitchen, and they're very happy with it now, but I don't think I'd ever do it again. No, no, and certainly not on a kind of a regular basis. Um so, so it's been that that side of um, the skill set's been incredibly valuable for mm-hmm. what I do now. So I recommend that most people go and do at yeah. least part of an interior design degree if they're involved in development. For you, is that like did you know for from a very young age that you wanted to get into design, or like you know looking back now, you like how did I find myself here? It's not a huge surprise. I think I went through all the stages. You do as a kid, you know, you want to be a marine biologist for mm-hmm. six months and then you want to be doing something else. Yeah. And astronaut. Yeah, archaeologist. Yeah. And then I discovered that most things had already been found. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, then, and then, I mean, architecture was always, always on the list, mm-hmm. say. Um, you know, I always loved playing Lego and, yeah. and things like that. Still do, right? Yeah. Oh, <laughs> can't keep me away from it. Um, 
But I think, you know, if I think back to my final year of high school, I actually wanted to do acting. Yeah, right. Um, and got a pretty upfront answer from my theatre studies teacher when I told her that. And she you know, she subtly said, maybe maybe just look at another career yeah. path um, instead of being a suffering artist. <laughs> so that's when I, I kind of set my sights on interior design then and, you know, worked pretty hard to make mm-hmm. sure I got into the right course for it. So, yeah, it was, it, it was inevitable, but I can't say I ever thought, I would be in development as mm-hmm. such. I think, you know, then when I was studying construction, I saw myself on building sites. Yeah, right. You know, not in an office and on on site, but, mm-hmm. but not as much as sometimes I'd like. <laughs> in the role of development manager, has it changed, I suppose, your perception of what a development manager is? I guess because we do project management as mm-hmm. well, I'd say my role isn't traditional it wouldn't be the kind of traditional development manager role and on top of that being a small business it's probably (laughs) probably also changed the role quite significantly you know we do you know anything from admin to social media well that's been taken off (laughs) (laughs) but yeah I mean I I think I certainly wouldn't call my role traditional in any sense of the word and also not in the way that we operate so you know the direct engagement we have with our purchases Mm -hmm. for example is you know, traditionally that's the role of a sales agent. Yeah. So the fact that I have them emailing me directly is probably <laughs> not quite standard yeah. either. What in particular do you enjoy about the role? Is it um, the variety that you presented with or like dealing with, not dealing, but working through like the queries that purchasers might have, getting out on site, um, all of the above? Yeah, look, it's, it's probably a bit of everything. I think for me, the variety is super important. And I think that was what kind of got me with design was that it was, you know, repetition of the same thing over and over again. You're putting together another finisher schedule that's, you know, a variation of the last one Mm -hmm. and another set of documentation that's just another variation of the last one. So having something different to do every day is fantastic for me. And then on top of that, it's the problem-solving aspect. I Mm -hmm. think I realise now that that kind of the technical mind that I have is enjoys that problem-solving. And look, (laughs) we're constantly doing it sometimes, you know, I feel like... It's um, you're a firefighter. Yeah. You're just constantly <laughs> putting out fires, but you know that that makes it rewarding as well when you come to a really good mm-hmm. resolution with things that you know you thought might be unsolvable, but yeah, you find a way. <laughs> we were at Little Miller and Nightingale a couple of weeks back. Yeah, um, that's on track for completion in September. That's correct. Yeah, yeah, yep. Yeah. They're doing a great job out there. The the team from Liberty that we've got. Um, on site and we were out there this morning again mm-hmm. for our site walk and it's incredible how quickly it all moves yeah. you know we've got almost three levels with their walls sheeted now windows going in flooring will start going in all of a sudden it's real yeah you, know, you spend two years in a planning process and you think it's never going to happen and then before you know it there's a building yeah. well that was the thing that stood out for me when I came out onto site was I don't know why but in my mind I was expecting it to be maybe level or two out of the ground yeah but then it just reinforces how quickly time flies in construction yeah absolutely and that, and you know once you pass the structural phase mm-hmm. essentially and it's into fit out it's yeah it changes yeah. day to day not even week to week and with that site in particular like it's in a fairly rapidly evolving pocket of Brunswick yep was that something guys at Lucent were aware of or was it in the back of your mind when you acquired the site looking at the site look I think at that time there was certainly a lot of construction going on I think probably further down Nicholson Mm -hmm. Street than from our location 
and there's obviously Brunswick East, uh, East Brunswick Village, yeah. the large site down there as well. So we knew that there was a lot coming onto market. Um, and naturally, because that whole area is zoned for higher density yeah. housing, so people were going to look at those opportunities and, and start to progress mm-hmm. them. Um, so, you know, even in the pocket that we're in, I know that there's you know, plans for, I think it's another 110 apartments quite close yeah. by. and But they, it all takes time. And, you know, like I said before, you spend one to two years trying to get through the planning process to start with. So, yeah. and, that, you know, naturally the cycle of development shifts and, and it all it all kind of rolls on from there. Mm-hmm. From your point of view, some of the challenges that uh, are facing the industry at the moment, what do you think the key ones are? Oh, God, I think it's all challenging at the moment. <laughs> no, look, I think, you know, the what's come out of um, the back of the Banking Royal Commission, mm-hmm. um, changing with finance metrics, the way people's loans are being evaluated, naturally that's caused... Um, it's probably, you know, that, that's been a major contributing factor to what they're calling a softening in the market, mm-hmm. to, to give it a slightly nice word. And then, you know, you see things like, you know... It, we were very aware of the design changes mm-hmm. that, we, that came in in 2017 and how they impacted yield and how we had to reassess sites in a, yeah. in a completely different way and that we were going to be more rigorously assessed at a planning level. And then, look, I think one of one of the biggest challenges is getting through planning in the yeah. first place. Um, I think Victoria, unfortunately, has a adversarial process mm. that's – it doesn't – it doesn't set up well for inclusion and consultation and things that would be really valuable from an early point of view. Mm-hmm. You know, we have to wait until we essentially go to VCAT before we can mediate an outcome with people. Yeah. It's, so if there was a more structured process around, you know, consultation and mediation right from the outset, yeah. you know, almost as a, a requirement as part of the planning process, I think you could mitigate a lot of the things that end up having to be, you know, wrapped up and a lot of money spent on far further down the track than they should be. Do you think that planning has in some ways become a bit of a box ticking exercise when it comes to design? I think, look, I think there are a few things that contribute to that. I think one of the, I mean, you know, there's there's no um, coincidence that you see a lot of what we call wedding cake design mm. buildings because of the way that the residential design codes are written. That that's an outcome yeah. from that. And unless you get a really creative architect who mm. thinks around that in a different way, it's you know max yield for yeah. you know what you can get within that line essentially. So I don't think that's a great outcome from a mm. planning perspective. But yeah, it it is a box ticking exercise, and and you do have to get through it. And I think. It's it could it could be far better mm-hmm. essentially. I mean, to, to be really yeah. simplistic about it. I only bring it up because Cameron Shackleton from Icon Developments uh, he did a Q and A interview with us, and yeah. he mentioned that he thought that it's not necessarily the planning scheme at the moment isn't necessarily conducive to you know I suppose more unique or one off um, responses to planning problems. Yeah, I, I don't think it is. I think, you know, it's written into a lot of the um, the standards and the design guidelines that, you know, exceptional mm. design will, you know, be considered yeah. if, you, if you're looking at things like, you know, additional height and um, any kind of offsets yeah. for, for, for providing that. But then it's a really subjective thing, you know, yeah. what is good design and it's it's down to a planner in, at a council level yeah. to make it decision on that um and they might not agree with yeah. what you know with what you think is good design so it's, it's it is a tricky one yeah i've always 
found it interesting that planning is so much heavily focused on words when the people who design buildings are very visual and so you find, and having worked at the council, you find that there's a bit of misdirection around what words are. So I suppose exemplary design, it's like, how about you provide an example of what exemplary design is in um, your mind, but I suppose then it, well, it's that, still quite subjective, isn't it? It's 100, it's 100% true. I mean, you read through any of the town planning schedules, guidelines, yeah. standards, you're right, it's all words. Yeah. There's, like, there's not a lot should, of How far examples. can you take should versus say must? Well, that's it. Yeah. <laughs> what could be argued yeah. if they can? Like, is three metres should? Is it six metres? Who knows? Yeah. Do you want to talk about Stuart Collective? That, that's our next big thing, essentially, mm-hmm. and that one's probably been you know the biggest battle we've yeah. had in planning with two visits to VCAT and an incredibly long wait on a decision from our second hearing, which is... You know, it's part and parcel. Yeah. This is this is you know the arena that we play in essentially, but that's a super unique project, mm-hmm. a super unique site. We've really spent a lot of time understanding the market mm-hmm. that we're in, and particularly now, we've done a lot of work in you know strategizing around what product we offer, mm-hmm. who we're targeting, and really trying to build community in apartment buildings. And I think there's a there's a lot of focus on that at the moment, which is which is really important if you yeah. want to drive people into living in apartments and considering that as a home for life versus you know it's always you go and rent an apartment yeah you're never going to go buy one as a home because you know naturally we've all got the quarter acre block yeah. australian dream in mind at some point in time but that's just become completely unachievable for most people so i think that that project will be mm-hmm. incredible at some point yeah. in time but naturally we're just you know we're just facing the call them usual challenges mm-hmm. but you know this one's a bit exceptional in that sense um in, in getting it to market yeah. just on the point of suppose, encouraging people to take up apartment living how much of that do you feel is design driven there's obviously like the the aim of creating like this community feel but you know the way apartment living is displayed in media sometimes gives the impression of like you know being completely isolated from your neighbors you're just surrounded by white plasterboard walls how important is a design and b how can that facilitate the idea of community as well i think design is key to this i think it's really the only way to drive people's behavior Mm -hmm. in in interiors um so it can be simple things too and i think you know we've been fortunate enough to work with an amazing architect for the interiors for the mm-hmm. Stuart Collective with um, Austin Maynard Architects. Yeah. And I think because they traditionally have done single residential projects, they mm-hmm. really think about home. So what they've done is tried to translate some of these, you know, neat little tricks yeah. and interesting design details to, to try and drive engagement between people. So things like, you know, a communal library, yeah. for example, which um, is proposed for, for the building. Um, and, you know, at one, one point in time, we'd spoken to them even about entry doors that were more like stable doors. So, mm-hmm. you know, you could leave your top section of your entry door open and, you know, if the neighbours happened to wander past, yeah. you could have a chat and, you know, being more open than hidden behind a massive yeah. fire door, essentially. <laughs> so, unfortunately, that, you know, I think we're, we're up against some compliance yeah. issues trying to get the stable <laughs> doors as entry doors. But just thinking about it in a different way yeah. or, you know, having a bookshelf next to your entry door that... You could leave personal items so it yeah. shows a bit of personality and you, you can engage with your neighbours mm-hmm. in that way. But, you know, then you do get people who do just want to be isolated yeah. and, and not engage. And, and you can have that choice in an yeah. apartment building as well. So 
I think, yeah, I absolutely think design's key. Because mm-hmm. just on that point, I suppose, you know, development's like Nightingale are very community focused, but there's this idea that you either have to completely buy into like, you know, putting yourself out there within the buildings community, but that's just up to the individual essentially, right? A hundred percent. And we, you know, we, we've spoken about it with um, a landscape architect mm-hmm. we've, working, we've worked with, Mark Jacks from Openwork and... And he's, he's been really clever in the way he's designed um, some of the landscape spaces we've worked with him on and talking about the fact that there are extroverts and there are introverts yeah. and, you know, there are people who are a bit of both yeah. and you've got to create spaces for both of those types of people. Mm-hmm. Sometimes is it as simple as just, you know, um, providing roller shutters or, like, you know, a blind or... Because going back to the point of planning, there's, like, you know, rules around overlooking and things but if that's something that really bothers you you can just pull down your blind right? <laughs> well yeah naturally i mean there's all sorts of things that you can use for pri- yeah. for creating privacy but yeah from a regulatory perspective we've got to have anything up to 1.7 yeah. meters screened or um, high level windows and things like that but yeah i think you know creating privacy in these buildings is is almost mandated yeah. to, to a level and then again it's up to the occupants and the individuals how they decide to you know live and are there any particular projects outside of the ones Lucent develops that you particularly admire or um, doesn't have to be in Australia, it could be like anywhere in the world really? I have to say I, I really admire um, a lot of the Nightingale projects. Mm-hmm. I think they've got you know, exemplary design. It's, it is architect driven so yeah. naturally, <laughs> naturally that's why. And I think a lot of those architects have really understood how people live mm-hmm. and, and spent time thinking about it as well. So I, I think, you know, they're... We're going to see some fantastic projects come out of that yeah. that group. I think otherwise, you know, I've I've always been fascinated by multi-residential mm-hmm. towers. I mean, not that I think I yeah. <laughs> not think Lucent will, will build one. You yeah. never know. But you know, we're we're looking out the window here at you know one Australia one away, and I just that scale of development fascinates me. And you know, the the optimization of construction mm-hmm. and how they can essentially deliver a building of that size yeah. in you know a, a crazy amount of time so that yeah i guess towers are, are fascinating yeah. to me me too i <laughs> find myself just staring at them yeah while i was waiting in the foyer uh there's a really great view back towards like the western end of the cbd which is a flurry of cranes oh it's gone crazy hasn't it no it's amazing and i think you know to me it also just epitomizes you know the change in living that kind of almost and it doesn't need to be accepted but then just needs to be a bit of a paradigm shift to understanding that density is an important thing because we can't have the cities continue to keep sprawling out the way they do because you you know you're taking up essentially what's been undeveloped land for a very very long time and which is a properly serviced half the time no and that's exactly the issue the infrastructure planning a lot of the time is pretty inadequate to Mm. service these places and it also creates disconnection because you know you go and live in a suburb where there is essentially no community infrastructure or anything there for you to engage with and you end up having to commute back to the centre of the CBD for Well, your house and... just gets bigger because you've got <laughs> nothing else to do, really. So you add, like, an entertainment or cinema area and the house is just, yeah. Well, that's right. And, that, you know, that's another point. People yeah. don't need a lot of space to yeah. live in. I think the dream of having, you know, the good room and all these spaces that essentially are unused. Yeah, whereas if you're living in the city, the amenity at street level is essentially your entertainment really well that's it yeah, yeah. You, you don't need to spend too much time at home so yeah. 
You don't need a bedroom that's three times the size of the <laughs> <laughs> Sophie, I think we'll leave it there, but thank you for your time today. Really appreciate it. No, thanks for having me.